that's a really good question. You know, that's a question that everybody struggles with at some level at some point in their lives. What can wash away my sin? You know, at, at some level, at some point, you've struggled with this. You may not use that exact same language. You may call it something else. You may have other words that you use for that particular word. But, but that's a question that we've all struggled with at some point. What can wash away my sin? Now, I know in a group like this, we might be tempted to go, oh, wait, 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 I know the answer. I know I've sung the song. <laughs> I, know, I, know what, I know what the answer to this question is. But, but don't jump to that conclusion yet, because today I want us to have a conversation about that question. And Psalm 51 is the passage of Scripture we're in. You can open up your Bibles to that passage if you'd like to, and we're going to see some things here in just a minute on the screen with that, that passage. But, but as, we, as we think about that, that question, what can wash away my sin, I really want us to take a moment to think about that, not from, not from the perspective of us growing up when we were kids, but I think today might be a really good day for us to have an adult conversation about that question. Because, you know, at some point in your life, at some point, somebody, when you were a kid, tried to teach you the difference between right and wrong. And, and they looked at you and they said, don't do that. Or they said, stop this. And they weren't just doing that because you were being annoying. And, and they may not have called it sin. They weren't, they weren't just trying to stop you from being annoying. They were, they were trying to teach you that, you know, lying it doesn't work. And, and, you know, being disrespectful is a bad idea. And, and, you know, you shouldn't go into your sister's room because we should respect each other's stuff. You know, that, that, that should just that should just happen. We should do that. And, and as they tried to teach you the difference between right and wrong, they may have used different words for it instead of sin. In my family, there were times when, when it was called sin. It was, that, that's the word that we used for it. Now, we used a lot of different words for it too. Sometimes there were words like thoughtless or brainless or boneheaded or moronic. Um, my dad sometimes had several four-letter colorful metaphors that he used to describe what it was that we were doing. But when we were kids, somebody, whatever word that you use, somebody at some point tried to teach you the difference between right and wrong, that some things work and some things, they just don't work. And now that we're adults, though, when we look back on being a kid and we think about this question, what can wash away my sin? When we think about that, it just seems, I don't know, it just seems small. You know, maybe you cheated on a test, or maybe you disobeyed your parents when you were a kid, or maybe you were in your dad's room and you saw some money on the dresser and you just took it because you just thought, hey, it's a few dollars, he'll never notice. And now that you're adults, now that we're adults, we look at this question and everything just seems, it just seems bigger. I mean, doesn't it? When you think about the mistakes that you've made or the sins that you've committed or the hurts or the shame or the guilt or the disappointment, there may be entire seasons of your life. There may be entire seasons of your life that you just don't even want to talk about. I don't, don't talk, let's not talk about my first wife. I don't want to talk about my first wife. And, 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 and college, yeah, college. Um, I went. I went to college, but we're not going to talk about what happened while I was there, because, uh, you know, there's just maybe, maybe there are entire seasons of your life that you don't want to talk about what happened. What, what can wash away my sin? 
Because now you're an adult, and it doesn't seem quite so small anymore. You didn't get caught coming out of your sister's room. You got caught coming out of somebody else's room. And it just seems, it just seems bigger. And whatever word you use, what could wash away my guilt? What could wash away my shame? What could wash away my indiscretion? And you just wonder if there's any way, any way, that I could just be freed up from the heaviness and the burden of that. And you know, my uncle who passed away a couple of years ago, he was a Vietnam veteran. And Vietnam was one of those things that he just, he couldn't talk about. He just wouldn't talk about it. He was in the military for quite a while. And he was convinced that if he walked in the door of a church, the roof would just fall in on him. Because, man, I've just done so many things. And I tried to convince him that, no, that's not the way that works. But maybe you're like that. Maybe you think no one could ever forgive what I've done. You have no idea. You don't know what I did to my wife. You don't know what I've said to my son. You know, there I was at the work, and, and I, was, I was looking at the computer, and I saw something that nobody else saw, and so I just took it. <laughs> and now, well, I've had it, but it's just weighing on me. It's just so big. It's just so adult-sized anymore that I don't know how anybody could forgive me of that. Maybe it just seems outrageous to you that you could be forgiven. I have a friend, uh, he's my brother's age actually, my brother's about three years younger than I am. I have a friend who married his college sweetheart. I knew her too. I knew, I knew both of them. They got married. They were, man, she, she was beautiful and brilliant and, and they, they had this great relationship with one another and not long after they got married, she got pregnant and I mean, how cool is that? That you'd get married, that you'd get pregnant. I mean, they were doing everything right. It was awesome. There was just this one problem and the one problem that they had was that their baby, after the baby was born, the baby just kept getting sick. Just over and over, just would get sicker and sicker. And, and things worked like you would expect. The baby would get sick. They would take the baby to the doctor. The doctor would prescribe some medication, make a diagnosis. The baby would get better. And then the cycle would repeat. The baby would get sick. And they'd go to the doctor and get some medication, and the baby would get better. Until eventually the baby got so sick, they had to put the baby in the hospital. And so they put the baby in the hospital, and the same pattern happens. Doc, uh, the baby gets well, starts getting better and better, gets close to that time when the baby is going to be released from the hospital, and then all of a sudden the baby starts getting sicker again. And they couldn't figure out why this was happening. Why does this baby keep getting healthy and then keep getting sick? And so they set up a hidden camera in the hospital room. And on camera, and this, was my, this was my friend. These are people I knew. They caught on camera the mom going into the hospital room and injecting something into the IV of her baby. And the baby would get sick again. This is a mom who's, I knew her. She's poisoning her, poisoning her, her own baby. What can wash away that sin? You see, it seems outrageous to me that anything could wash away that sin. There's something in me that just sort of rises up, this sense of justice that says there's nothing, there's no one, there's no way a sin like that could be forgiven. What could wash away that sin? 
You know, maybe, maybe you think about your own sin and you think of it like that. There was a time in the nation of Israel when something outrageous like that happened. David was the king of Israel, and in the history of Israel, he was remembered as a man after God's own heart. He was remembered as one of the greatest kings of Israel. And even if you don't know the history, even if you don't know the story, you probably have heard the story of David and Goliath, and you've heard about you know, the, his mighty men of valor, and you've heard all of these accomplishments that David had. You may have even heard him called a man after God's own heart, but there was this season of his life where David did something outrageous. David did something unexpected. He did something that you wouldn't think a man after God's own heart would do, but he did it. See, in the season when kings go out to war, he didn't. He didn't go out. And so here he is. He's in his palace. He's in a place where really he shouldn't be. He's looking out his window, and as he looks out the window, he sees a woman across the way. She's on the roof of her house, and she's bathing, and that's, that was typical in that culture in that time. It was the place to go. It was a private place they could go, but because the palace was a little bit taller and a little bit higher than everything else, he could look and he could see her, <laughs> and he liked what he saw when he watched her bathe, and so he sent someone to go get her, and so they come and get her. And David, who is the king of Israel, he seduces this woman. He seduces her, and they sleep together. Now, there's a part of me that looks at that and goes, well, that's definitely adultery because she was married and he was married. It's definitely adultery, but in this day and age, I look at it and go, man, he was the king. Could she have said no if she wanted to? And I don't know passage makes it clear it's adultery, but maybe on some lists, maybe that's rape. Maybe that's something more. And then she gets pregnant, and now he's trying to hide it. He's trying to be clever. He's trying to do what we would do. He's trying to deny it and come up with a plan, and so he invites her husband to come home, and he tries to make it look like that it's her husband that got her pregnant, but that didn't really work. And so he comes up with a whole new plan, and the whole new plan is that he's going to kill him. He's going to kill his husband. He uses the military to do it. He's the king. He can command that to happen. So he made that happen, and he murders Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband. And then he takes Bathsheba to be his wife. And everybody knows it. There's no way this is a secret. Everybody knows it. He sent a messenger to go get Bathsheba. He sent a messenger with the death order for Uriah. There's no way the people in the temple, the people in the castle, the people in the kingdom, there's just no way they didn't know what was going on. But still, here's David trying to cover it up, trying to hide it. What can wash away that sin? Maybe you don't like the word sin. Maybe you think, oh, I'm not a sinner. I just make mistakes. I'm a mistake-er. <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's what you are. Maybe you're a mistake-er. But we know that it can't be a mistake because mistakes happen when you don't have enough information. Or they happen when you have bad information. And the best part about a, about a mistake is that a mistake can be erased. You know, delete. And then you can fill in the blank with something new or something better or something right. I'm not like David at all. Mine don't really, my, my sins, it's outrageous to think. It's outrageous to think that anybody would, would forgive that release or carry away or take away that guilt, you might think that's outrageous. Or maybe you don't think it rises to that level. You know, I've never done anything like that. I haven't been quite that bad, not quite so bad as David or not quite so bad as that mom. But you know what the truth is about our guilt and about our shame, about our sin? It's not a competition. <laughs> your, your sin, your guilt, your shame, it, it may be way less than mine. I may carry around way more than you. But it's not a 
it's not a competition because this is, this is my guilt. This is my shame, and it's, it's my junk. And it's your guilt, and it's your shame, and it's your sadness, and it's your loneliness. And it may not rise to the level of what I did, and it may not rise to the level of what David did, and it may not rise to the level of what that mother did with her daughter, but still for some reason, you're carrying that weight around with you everywhere you go. And in the quiet moments, when really things in your life should be the most peaceful, those thoughts come back to your mind. And the heaviness is there, and the weight of your shame, and the weight of your guilt. I just wish, I just wish someone could carry it away. What can wash away my sin. You see, David, he didn't really do anything about his sin. He was king and he was caught, but there was no court in the land who could really do anything about it. Eventually, he has a friend who is a prophet who's brave enough and bold enough to confront him over his sin. Nathan comes to David and he confronts his friend, and, and this is what he tells him. This is what he tells him. This is in 2 Samuel is where you see this. And, and this is, Nathan says, David, this is a message from God. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Because of what you have done, God says, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, isn't that just like us? We get caught and, and we're told, okay, you're going to suffer the, the logical consequences of your actions. You made these choices and now there's some logical consequences to that. You're going to suffer the logical consequences of those actions. And, and so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, David, uh, David says, I confess, I confess, I, I did that. You're, you're right, I was wrong. I have sinned against the Lord. And then this phrase is what Nathan says next. And this is the phrase that's remarkable to me. And even more outrageous than what David did, and even more outrageous than, than what that woman who, who was hurting her child, even more outrageous than that, is what I believe Nathan says to David in this moment right here. And you can see it. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. Before David even confessed, before David writes Psalm 51, before David does anything to repent of what it is that he's done, this verse says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And to me, this is a man who's an adulterer. He's at best a liar. He might be a rapist, and he's definitely a murderer. It's outrageous to me that before he even asks for forgiveness, Nathan says, but the Lord has forgiven you. And I'm thinking, God, that's just outrageous. And I'm arguing with him a little bit, and God says, outrageous. You want to know what's outrageous? Well, let me tell you what my son did. Let me tell you what my son did. My son was innocent. He was perfect. He was spotless. He knew exactly what you did. He knows about the guilt and the shame and the disappointment, whatever word you use for it. He knows about the sin that you carry. He knows what David did. He knows what that woman did. 
And he knew exactly how heavy it was, and he knew exactly how hard it was, and he knew that it would be impossible for you to carry it on your own, and he knew it would be impossible for you to give it up. He knew that it would be impossible for you to do anything at all about it, and so he willingly, and this is just outrageous, he willingly took the punishment for your sin, for your shame, for your disappointment, for your hurt. He willingly took the punishment, he willingly took the penalty for what you did wrong. And because of that, yeah, you were, you were wrong. But the Lord has forgiven you. You see, that's what God has done for you. Right now, in this moment, if I just had someone who could pick up and carry away my sin, my life would be so much different. If someone could just pick up and carry away my sin, and God looks at you and says, He has. His name was Jesus, and you're forgiven. That woman, she went to prison, and, and she's suffering the logical consequences of her sin, yet somehow it's outrageous to me, but somehow what Jesus did for her is even more outrageous, and he looks to her, and he looks to you, and he says, I don't know how outrageous it is. What, what is it? You know, I don't know if it's outrageous or not, but what my son did was far, far more outrageous, and because of it, I will pick up, and I will carry away your shame and your sin. This woman can be, has been, forgiven. And he says exactly the same thing to David. David, before you even asked, right now, where you sit, before you even asked, I forgive you. And what we see in Psalm 51, I call it the song of the brokenhearted. We see the brokenhearted response of a man who knows he's been forgiven and he doesn't deserve it. He knows he's been forgiven and he doesn't deserve it. He knows that someone has picked up and carried away his sin. He knows that someone has taken the punishment and the penalty and the blame for that wrong thing that he did. And now in the quiet moments when that heaviness once weighed him down and carried him to places he didn't want to go, in those quiet moments, now instead of suffering with the silence and the secretiveness of that sin, now he can celebrate. Could you imagine being so free from your shame, so free from your guilt, so free from your sin? Could you imagine be so, being so free from that that you could sing about it? Not that you would sing about the sin, but that you would sing about the freedom that Christ has given you, that you could sing about it. David didn't just sing about it. He wrote a song about it. And as he writes this song, he writes it in such a way that at the beginning of it, he says, I think you should give this to everybody. Hey, when we come to Worship next Sabbath day, you should have the choir sing this. It's not the story of my sin. It's the story of what the God who loves me has done with my sin. Look at what he says in Psalm 51 right here. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is the way David starts his song. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. David is able to ask for mercy with confidence. You see, I don't know what your sin or your shame is today. I don't know what your guilt is today. But Jesus has said, I will pick it up and I will carry it away. And because of that, with confidence, you can ask for mercy. Because you're forgiven, because you're forgiven, you can ask for mercy with confidence. 
You know, mercy is, is when something's withheld that we actually do deserve. And, and, and it's the, when, when we say this, when David says this, it was this reminder of relationship. Because you're forgiven, you can ask for mercy with confidence. Because you're forgiven, David could ask for mercy with, with confidence. He, he could say, God, I, I remember this relationship that we have. I remember your tender mercies. I remember your loving kindness. I remember these experiences that we've had together. And because this is part of your proven character, God, this is a part of who you are. I know this is who you are as a God. I've experienced this before. And as a result of that, when you come to this moment where you're feeling the weight of your guilt and the weight of your sin, you can ask for mercy with confidence. David knew he didn't deserve it. What do you know about your own shame? Do you deserve mercy? Maybe you don't feel like you do in the proven character of God. He's willing to give you mercy. And he says, I forgive. I will pick up and I will carry off your sin. And it made something rise up inside of David. This idea that he was forgiven of his sin, it made this thing rise up in him that said, God, I don't ever want to do that again. I know I hurt people. I know I hurt you. I know I hurt our nation. I know I hurt my reputation. I know I hurt so many different things. But God, because you have forgiven me, because of this forgiveness, I want to be something more than I am now. I want to live my life in such a way that expresses that satisfaction with salvation, that expresses that joy, that expresses that, that leads others to follow after you. Psalm 51 is not the only song he wrote about this. He also wrote Psalm 32, which is a completely different song. And in that song, David confesses this in Psalm 32. He says, wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Actually, this is Psalm 51. He keeps going. I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Maybe you continue to feel the weight and the heaviness of your sin. David would feel that. And then Psalm 32. Go ahead and go to that next one. Psalm 32. He says, this is what he realizes. He realizes, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the heaviness and the weight of your shame, and you just felt like, I just can't, I'm not going to make it? He goes on to say, for day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. Stay right there. Go back to that last one. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I know I'm forgiven so I can ask for mercy with confidence and at the point that I confessed it, at the point that I repented, at the point that I admitted my shame and I admitted my disappointment, this is what happens next. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You picked it up, and you carried it away. You see, in Psalm 51, there are three words that David uses to describe his sinfulness. He uses the word transgression, the word iniquity, and the word sin. And, and one of the things we see right here is we see, we see that, that because David owned his offense, his offense didn't own him. And so that's something you can do with your shame. It's something you can do with your guilt. Instead of letting it 
own you, you can own your offense. Because you are forgiven, you can own your offense. And that's what he does. He recognizes that he has transgressions, he has iniquity, and he has sin inside his life. Now, you might be tempted to think that those three words are the same thing, that they mean the same thing, but they really don't. A transgression is a willing choice to do the wrong thing. Hey, I've got door number one, I've got door number two, and on door number one, there's this flashing sign that says, this is the right way, this is the best thing, you should go this way. And on door number two is this big flashing giant red sign that says, no, don't go there. This will hurt you, it will hurt someone else, it will hurt the people around you, it will hurt your family, don't do it. And you look at that sign and you go, I'm going to take the one that says no and do that. And, and so that's what a transgression is. A transgression is a willing choice to do the wrong thing. Iniquity is a premeditated plan to do the wrong thing. You know, I've got a business trip this week, and the kids are going to be at home, and the wife's going to be at home, and I'm going to have this hotel room all to myself. And once I get there, I'm kind of free to be me. And so I'm not on the trip yet, but I know some things I'm planning on doing while I'm there. A premeditated plan to do the wrong thing. And then sin... Sin is to miss the mark. And David said, I know, God, I've confessed that I missed the mark. I know what your standard is. You've called me a man after your own heart, and I didn't clear that standard. I didn't make it. I need someone to forgive my sin, my shame, my iniquity, my transgression. I need someone who will pick it up and who will carry it away. And because David owned his offense, his offense didn't own him. More specifically, because David was forgiven, it drove him to live in an amazing way. It drove him to repent. It drove him to function, to, to organize and to, and to order his life in a way that transformed him into that man who built that reputation that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was forgiven. He didn't, he didn't get forgiven because he repented. He repented because he was forgiven. He didn't get forgiven because he wrote this incredible song. He wrote this incredible song because he was forgiven. Did you catch that? See, that's part of owning your offense. You're already forgiven, and because you're already forgiven, you can own that offense. The poetry of this passage reveals just how deeply he felt that. He said, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from the sin. It's like he's just saturated with the, this is a great word, it's like he's saturated with the putrescence of his shame. And he didn't know how to deal with it, but God says, I do. I've forgiven you, and I've carried it away. And David responds. Here's how he responds in Psalm 51. It's some verses we've read already today. This is the cry of his heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, because he's forgiven, and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. That's his response to being forgiven. Now, one of the things I notice in his confession is I notice that he doesn't confess the way I do sometimes. He doesn't confess the way we do. Hey, I'm really sorry that I offended you, but I had a really good reason for it. Hey, I'm sorry that your feelings are hurt. I'm sorry. Please forgive me, but. You know, so often the integrity of our confession is messed up because of someone's little but. 
And yeah, I said it that way on purpose. Um, I'm sorry, please forgive me, but it's someone else's fault. It's someone or something. If I just didn't, if you just, if you only knew, there's, I had good reason for it. I'm sorry, please forgive me, but. You see, this idea that David was already forgiven, it drove him not to say, I'm sorry, but. It, it drove him not to explain it away or to offer up someone else or something else as the reason for, oh, the devil made me do it. It caused him to restructure and reorder his life in a way that would let him experience the joy of his salvation. And he says, because of the joy of my salvation, because I'm forgiven, because of this experience, now I'm going to be able to teach other people who are caught in their shame and other people who are caught in their guilt and other people who are caught in their sin. I'm going to be able to teach them that their sin has already been picked up and carried away. And I know how outrageous it sounds that I would be called a man after God's own heart. I know how outrageous it sounds that God would forgive you of your sin. But can I tell you, he already has. And now as a result of it, David says, I'm going to live differently because of it. <laughs> One of my favorite movies is Saving Private Ryan. What an incredible movie that is. It's a war movie. It's about this man who is on the front lines on D-Day. He's, he's right in the thick of it, right in the thick of the battle. And he has several bro brothers. Private Ryan has several brothers. And they're all killed in combat on the same day on D-Day. And so the military decides that they're going to send a group of soldiers for one mission, and one mission only. It's not to win the war. Their one mission is to go in and get Private Ryan off the front to get him back home because his family had experienced so much loss. And they do this great job in the movie of portraying what Private Ryan was about. And he's just a guy. He's just like me and you. And the guys who are going to get him, they're not superheroes. They're not mega soldiers. They're just World War, World war II guys. They're just One's a teacher, and one's a mechanic, and they're just guys. And they don't portray anybody as particularly heroic, but they portray these men, this group of men, who value their orders, and more specifically, they value Private Ryan's life as greater than their own. And so many of them go into combat, and they go in specifically to save Private Ryan, and many of them give their lives so that he might live. And at the end of the movie, it's my favorite scene in the movie, there's this old man at a cemetery. He's with his family. And he's, he's looking at the grave of one of these men who have given his life in combat. And he's just weeping. And he looks to his wife and he says, tell me, tell me I've been a good man. Have I, have I been a, tell me I've been a good man. And because of the sacrifice these men made, it shaped the character of Private Ryan. And he lived to be this old man who desperately from the inside out, he didn't carry the weight of shame. And he didn't carry the weight of guilt or of despair or of loneliness or of anger or of hatred. He didn't carry the weight of sin. He carried the weight of the joy of his salvation. And that passion to live in a way that's worthy of the forgiveness, to live in the way that's worthy of the sacrifice that was made for him. You think what you've done is outrageous? God says, look at my son. That's outrageous. Because of my son, you are already forgiven.
God's looking to you right now in this moment. And he's saying to you, because of my son, your sin has already been picked up and carried away. Because of my son, you are already forgiven. The question is, will you believe it? You know, I hope you'll consider this. Every system of belief on the planet has a solution to this question, what can wash away my sin? Every system, every worldview has an answer to the question, what can wash away my sin? Every one of them does. But only one offers a person. Every system. You may have tried some of them. Psychological help. You may have tried some other religious points of view. Maybe you may have tried all of them. Maybe you don't even have a religious point of view. You just know you've tried to medicate it. You've tried to, you've tried to work it out of you. You've tried, to, you've tried therapy. You've tried all these things. Well, all those other systems of belief, they offer answers. But only Christianity offers a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that we can be forgiven. Now because of our forgiveness, because we've been forgiven, he can restore to us the joy of our salvation. And out of that joy, we can teach others what it means that their sin has been picked up and carried away. And God says, I don't expect you to do anything to receive it. All I expect you to do is believe it. That's it. I expect you to believe it. I expect that you'll trust in my proven character. I expect that you'll trust these words that I've told you that I do. I forgive you. Just trust me when I say that. I forgive you. And let that shape the rest of your life. Let go of what was past and press, toward, press forward toward what's ahead. And recognize that because of forgiveness, you can own your offense. Because of forgiveness, you can ask for mercy with confidence. In just a moment, what I'd like to do is just lead us in a prayer. And, and when we say we just need to tell God we believe it, it's through prayer that we talk to God. And when I lead you in this prayer, this is just a simple way to acknowledge to God, God, I believe it. You've said you've forgiven my sin. You've said you've picked it up and you've carried it away. I want you to know I believe it. That's really all we're doing. We do that through prayer because we're pointing our hearts and our minds towards God as we say it. I want to lead you in this prayer. There's nothing mystical or magical about the words we'll say. There's nothing, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing. I'm, I'm not really trying to manipulate anybody into joining a club. I'm not trying to get you to come be a part of something. I just, I just know that that question what can wash away my sin is relevant. And the celebration that David felt because he was released from his, from his sin, that's something you can experience. Why? Well, because God has forgiven you already. All you have to do is believe it. And you could tell him that you believe it right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and if you want to tell God you believe it right now, you could pray something similar to what I'm going to pray as, as I pray it. You could pray it in the silence of your heart.